you will never find a team that has uh, the same at analytics department and how they're integrated into each team across the board. And that's that to me was super interesting, getting to talk to those people, hearing how they integrate, hearing their wins, hearing their pitfalls. I think that was something that we'll try and integrate more into the broadcast next year of talking about how a team gets their analytics department integrated into what they're trying to do. You know, we see advantages on the field, but there's a lot of stuff that takes place before you get on the field um, that can help the team have an advantage. Hey, everybody. Kevin Cole here, your host for Unexpected Points. If you're a first-time listener here, I hope you're going to enjoy what you have to hear. My guest today is Sam Schwartzstein. He is the analytics guy, the numbers dude for the Amazon TNF Prime broadcast. If you watched the analytics prime vision feed that they have there with the all 22 with his different stats there. They also had little interview snippets with him between the first and third quarters where he's talking about some things that went on in the game. And of course, tweeting out a bunch of information there. Um, he's going to be here on the show. He's also a former football guy. And we talk a little bit about, about his uh, football past here, former offensive lineman for Stanford back in the Andrew Luck era. And just a really good dude. Um, I had a chance to meet him in person for the first time at the Boston Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, actually outside of it. Uh, last year, we talked a little behind the curtain sort of stuff here, but we talked a bit about him coming in and being a co-host for this podcast when I was thinking about that idea last year. He, of course, got this gig with Amazon, so that didn't end up, end up happening, but I always want to have him back as much as possible so we can discuss everything that's going on. We talk about how the broadcast went this last year. We have some funny anecdotes about uh, Al Michaels in that too that I think you guys will enjoy. And we also talk about the Super Bowl that's going to happen from a team-building perspective, how those teams should be looking at things going forward, and especially how the Bengals and Bills and also the 49ers now coming off of some losses, being the, some of the elite teams in the NFL, how they should be looking at the offseason. So getting into draft and positional value talk and all of that stuff. Uh, if you have any questions for me, you can find me on Twitter at Kevin Cole, triple underscore, or you can email me unexpected points. That's PTS at gmail.com. Otherwise, here is Sam Schwartzstein. All right, Sam, thank you for joining me. We made it through the regular season. We made it through most of the playoffs at this point. So I wanted to have you on because I was thinking of people who I need like a high level of analytical expertise, a high level of football expertise. And for anyone watching on YouTube right now, uh, Sam, literal football guy. He's got a, he's got a number of footballs in the background. Wait, wait let, let's just talk about this straight up right now because that's a lot of football. So I explain to me. Explain the footballs. Explain yourself yeah. to the nerds, please. Yeah, so nerds, fellow nerds. Um, <laughs> I played football at Stanford, which makes me about king nerd of all the football nerds you could be. Yes, and, yes. Uh, so that's my Stanford football. And then mm. there's a NFL football, the Duke football. And then... The XFL football, original XFL football. Uh -huh. So that's the football I learned how to snap with, played center in college. And then that these footballs over here are the footballs I designed that we played with in games at the XFL. So one of my jobs while uh, starting the XFL was coming up with our football, one that was cool enough to be uh, past Vince's smell test, but also could be used in game and not hurt game. So I did a whole product development process 
That one is the ball we, uh, the first ball we ever used in a test game that was approved, and then there was the team specific Guardians okay. ball. Okay. We, we don't need to get into too much of the, that one because, like, the podcast <laughs> people are like, "What the fuck are you guys talking about?" But I. Do but then these balls one... down here, these balls down oh, here. Oh my god, we got more balls. Sorry, these nice. balls down here are very interesting because these are could never be used in game. Vince wanted them to look the, be the. Okay, they're kind colors. of darker. I see a green ball, a black ball, all the uh, team colors. Ball. All the could team never colors. be used. Okay. Can never okay, be. Yeah, used. that would be confusing. Imagine Jamar Chase was having problems with the with the with the stripes no longer being on there. Boy, he'd just be dropping balls left and right there. But no, one more ball though. I did notice to your right there was a ball still wrapped up. So what is yeah. that? That's like that's is that like the 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 collector's item ball? Is that the NFT of balls? It is the NFT of balls. So <laughs> they, that's exactly right. But okay. this ball, um, when we announced the ball, we announced it Thanksgiving week. And okay, so we okay. wrapped it up like a turkey, and we sent it to oh, a I bunch of people, now. a bunch of uh, press people, and I took one of them. You know uh, what you should do mine. with that is have it like – you know John Madden used to have the turducken? So you have like a ball inside of a ball inside of a ball that you could that you could slowly slice open for Thanksgiving. So I think I probably tested that. I probably tested the turducken <laughs> football at one point. There was probably – it was a lot of testing yeah. going on. Product development is a passion of mine. Uh, okay, so let's – so I want to have you on to talk all that stuff. Another reason I want to have you on is I've been just waiting for another opportunity to use more sound drops that I have from 1987 cult classic uh, uh, Mel Brooks's Spaceballs. I also wanted that. Wow. Liquid Schwartz. So I needed more. I need more of, of that to have on too. So I appreciate that also coming in. And third – is you were the analytics, uh, what, what do you call Like the analytics, analytics hunk. You were the yeah. analytics hunk, I think, of, of the broadcast there. Not only getting into the broadcast later on as we, as we progressed through the season, they just couldn't keep you off of the screen. The magnetic force could not keep you off the screen, but also tweets, putting all that together. We had an episode earlier. We described everything there. So we got all this wrapped up together. So you, you're hitting, you're checking all the boxes. Let's start first with your experience in this 2022 season, Amazon, brand new, Amazon Prime coming into the space, streaming only, brand new, multiple feeds, all brand new. What, what, what can you tell me about the whole experience and how it went? Yeah, it went awesome. Um, you know, the goal of this year was to focus on uh, putting out a great product and just being great and then being able to adapt to what fans, customers had seen and make it so that we are building something for them. So what I had done, uh, I, I joined, and then we just had kind of like a, a sandbox of what you saw in Prime Vision of different things that we were trying to figure out what worked, what didn't work, all these different components. Um, and then we just adapted week by week, and that's why it grew. It grew to we saw we needed someone to come on and explain some analytics or how are we directing people to watch the game in a unique way versus just saying, here's a smorgasbord sandbox. Let's give directional focus on what we're trying to watch. Let's, if we're going to talk time to throw, then after that we'll have time to throw above the quarterback's head things that make it more tied in together and not just make it like, Hey, a cacophony of different things that are taking place. Um, and it, it was, it was awesome to see the growth of the product, see how much people loved it and see the retention that we had for people who were really passionate about the product. They stayed and they became uh, one of the lines we heard is we can't watch football any other way because yeah. they started watching prime vision. That is how people, they want it on all their broadcasts. And that's, that's a win for us. Yeah, yeah. We've um, nerds, we try to ruin football just generally. So you're trying to ruin people's football viewing experience, basically, outside of this broadcast. Yeah, I think uh, that's one way to put it. I think we, we I think what, what, what honestly, though, is like 
uh, anything that we do, everyone else can see. And uh, I think it's just going to make the game better to watch because we're going to be, we're going to willing to try things, try new things, put ourselves out there and then adapt. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was fantastic. Now, actually, maybe you can clarify something for me, because I was watching the the prime vision, the extra stats, the tracking, the all 22. I was watching that most time. So you would you started jumping on there. I don't know what week it was around week 10, 12, something like that. You started getting in, getting in the action. And were you on the normal broadcast too, or was it just on that broadcast? Just on Prime Vision. So okay. what, what, what we, we wanted to go deeper with our fans that we were super serving. So the, the hardcore fans that are enjoying all 22, they're joining the analytics, they wanted more. And then I would provide directional focus, focusing on what is something that from a tracking metric you can see to an analytic about defining it differently. So we're going to talk the first week on there, it was uh, Seahawks, Niners, and here's how to watch uh, Christian McCaffrey differently. He's going to be in and out of the back. He's going to be out of the backfield more and in motion more than any other running back. So then now you see that he's in motion more. He's in backfield more. We have the nameplate on his head and you'll be able to see on the side wing. Oh, here's all the analytics about when he's on the uh, out of backfield versus in the backfield. And so then it yeah. gives you a, a, a landing spot to say, okay, here's you're explaining the stat. And then we use success rate a lot this year because that was something as we talked to fans that was easier to digest than maybe an EPA metric or a CPOE metric that makes it a little bit more difficult for people to, you know, who's expecting what everyone can see. Oh, did you stay on schedule? We're defining yeah. something that people already say with analytics. And that was helpful um, to get, to get fans, but we still need the explainer on screen myself to come in there and explain it uh, to make sure that, now fans are getting something that they really want and they're following the game in a little bit different way. And, and ultimately what we asked it, uh, of the people that were polling is, did this make you a smarter football fan? And 99% of them said yes. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it definitely – I mean, even for me, someone who, you know, I'm, I'm not very smart on the film stuff. You know, I try not to watch film as much as, as, much as I can. But for even the stat stuff, it was helpful for me. Yeah, I like success rate also because I think it's a good – metric where its benefits in terms of stability are probably a little bit overstated but you know if you're watching a game and one team is up you know 21 to 7 but their success rates are basically equal on offense you can probably say you know it's a closer game as far as you know fundamentally how these teams are playing versus what you're seeing on the scoreboard of course you're going to get some people going to be like oh you know big plays matter turnovers matter this matters that matters and of course it does but it does help give just an extra layer of understanding which i think sometimes we forget about when we're watching the broadcast where we're just saying this is what happened and this is what the teams deserve the score to be and that's a great point and what what made it interesting so i did what we call pod buster so i'd come in between the first and second quarter and the third and fourth quarter and the last wow, game, got lingo. Season. This is good lingo that I'm going to use now. <laughs> but when we came in uh, in the Dallas game, we saw that Dak Prescott had the number one success rate in the NFL. And then mm. we're seeing that part of that problem or was his. Everyone catches his footballs. He doesn't have many incompletes because he'll throw a lot of interceptions. Yeah. Right. And so, <laughs> uh, so but I had the opportunity to come in and clarify why his success rate was still high. But the score was closer than expected because he had thrown two interceptions. Yeah, yeah. In that third and fourth quarter, so you know I'm not saying analytics is going to be the end all, save all, and things, but I can help explain. We use this metric, success metric, but incompletions and interceptions are counted the same in this metric. So as we're teaching you, we're teaching you the pitfalls of all the different metrics that you'll see. Right, everything has a downside to it. Just like you know, if you're rushing the ball well, if you're a great rushing team, maybe film people don't do this you know if you're down in a game and you can't lean on the rush it doesn't help you anymore right and so you know we're we're going to be focused on giving our customers our fans 
more information about how to arm themselves and how they're going to talk about football, right? Whether yeah. it's the positive or negative, we're going to always show balance. We don't have to just be throwing at everything in their face. This is great. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like even the interception talk, right? If you throw two interceptions in the first half, probably you're going to have at least like a 10% in INT rate. And let's face it, even if you're the worst quarterback in the NFL, you're maybe hitting four or 5% or something like that over a very limited period, period of time. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good context to have. Now, the other thing I'm sure that you got from this experience is uh, close, personal, lasting, lifelong friendships with Al, Kirk, um, Kaylee also, Taylor, everyone there. So you guys have any summering plans, I'm assuming? Uh, no, I, I typically summer in the Hamptons. There's going to be three people okay. that like when I say that. But yes, I summer in the Hamptons. So um, if they're there, they'll be part of the Stanford elite. There. Is there like a group of Stanford elite that have a special place, a special East Coast bunker in the Hamptons also? I'm not at liberty to say. <laughs> okay we'll let that we'll let that go what i have to ask you one thing about al though and you're, you're you're you can let this go if you need to but i heard an interesting factoid about al michaels from a person who claims to be in a position to know is that he's never eaten a fruit or vegetable before in his life can you confirm or disconfirm that i can absolutely confirm that i've seen you, <laughs> you know. can't confirm it so yeah. so you've not you've never witnessed him eating a fruit or vegetable before no and it's often a topic of conversation yeah, oh really he, ta- he, yeah, he, ta- he talks about it in his book too um, oh, he does. Okay, this is public yeah, information. Yeah, I didn't even yeah, get it. Someone yeah, told but, me that, and I was like, "It's funny because I actually knew someone before who was in who was in a similar boat." And yeah, yeah I guess you could survive without it. So you know what the hell? All right. So he does talk about it. Then he's doing pretty well with it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's that's good. We can we can put that to bed. Um, I won't have to wonder and uh, stay up late at night wondering or not if uh, Al Michaels does. What about like a French fry or something like that? Like he'll eat that, right? Uh, I don't know if I saw him eat that. I think I'll say this after the Cincinnati game, he came up to me. I think it was the first time since uh, like in like two weeks we had spoken directly. And it was like, where's the pizza? (laughs) So I think tomato might be a vegetable, but I think he still eats pizza. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's almost like a, like my kids when they say that they don't want to eat vegetables, but there's certain carve outs. There's certain carve outs always that go along with that. So, okay. That's, that's, that's very, very good to know. Um, I guess looking back, is there anything that what did you feel was the most like important thing that you learned during this season? Um, and it could be small or, or big thing. It could be personal or about the broadcast generally. I think um, for me, my biggest takeaway was uh, one of my the most fun parts of my job is I try and talk to everyone every team's analytics department. There's some that I do, some that I can't talk to. There's some I'm talking to beat reporters. And there's also just me doing investigative work on how this analytics department fits into each team. Right. And almost every team is different. And almost every team um, has unique ways in which they get analytics integrated into their uh, team. One thing that you'll have is almost every team has an analytics person that helps with game planning. It's, re- it's doing, you know, replacing PFF work, replacing which I'm just talking about charting data, uh, yeah. re- replacing um, G- quality control work. So expediting the work that, that people would already be doing from a charting perspective or mm-hmm. from just an, uh, a data input perspective. Every team has that right now. But that's not new. That's that's expediting a process that had already been taking place. But every other team, you will never find a team that has uh, the same at analytics department and how they're integrated into each team across the board. And that's, that to me was super interesting getting to talk to those people, hearing how they integrate, hearing their wins, hearing their pitfalls. I think that was something that we'll try and integrate more into the broadcast next year of talking about how a team gets their analytics department integrated into what they're trying to do. Um, 
because I think it's an important understanding that, you know, there, there are, you know, we see advantages on the field, but there's a lot of stuff that takes place before you get on the field um, that can help the team have an advantage. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Are you going to the combine this year? I will be at the combine. Okay. So you'll be at the combine. Good. Because, uh, you know, I want to make sure we, I want to meet up before like the big data bowl or something. And then I can just kind of like be in part of your, your, your crew, your posse as, as the adoring fans start, start gathering, gathering around TV superstar, uh, Sam Schwarzstein. So I want to make sure we have that beforehand. Okay. Um, anything, anything combine you want to talk about? Yeah. I'm really excited for the combine this year. I think, um, uh, there's a lot of analytics people I know that are meeting up there. Um, it'll be, it'll be an awesome time, uh, for people to kind of interact and kind of blend the two together. Cause that, that's where, you know, I have my little forte, like you said, I have, you know, yeah. playing experience I've built the football league on the business side, on, on the, on the rules side, and then I have the analytics experience. And so being able to kind of blend that together, the combine's kind of the mixture of all of that. And so seeing a mixture of people and trying to connect people from the film side to analytics people, that's kind of my goal there is yeah. to where people can then kind of brain meld and be like-minded and try and learn a lot of stuff there. And so I think the combine, there's some really intriguing prospects. There's guys playing at the shrine bowl right now um, that are really exciting. Like Zay flowers um, that are going to move up the ranks and you might see him run a four, three at, at the combine. So Eric Galco and his team at, at the shrine bowl, they've done a lot of great stuff, getting the be the best of the best people there. Yeah, yeah, we got the uh, Senior Bowl stuff going now. Already, there's already clips, already clips out there. We're already confirming or, or uh, backing up our our takes immediately. Now, when you uh, when you were coming out as a, as a, as a prospect, as a top prospect in the in the NFL draft, did you just like show up in Indianapolis with like a t-shirt and shorts on and just like? try to break in to, to run or no 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 because I, I was busy nursing a hamstring injury that i then ended up pulling on espn3 because we signed a multi-year deal of espn3 broadcasting the Stanford, yeah three uh, three will always day. do that to you yeah 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 and, not uh, the ocho <laughs> yeah the, 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 the three got there and so i pulled my hamstring there and my football career pretty much ended there uh i couldn't bench because i tore my pec i couldn't run because i pulled my hamstring at yard 32 so yeah that's could what, you that's could you shuffle? Uh, no. The no. anti-inflammatories would like let me do it because it just was non-functional. Okay. But they, I was I had enough anti-inflammatories yeah. in me where I could possibly shuffle. No. Short or, or, or shuttle, I should say. Yeah, the short shuttle. It's all the rage now for okay. for identifying the offensive line prospects. So, um, I should tape you. I, I we, should, we should get you to run. We should get you to do uh your. What do you think about? What do you think about a viral engagement experience? We get you to do your combine drills at this year's combine. You know, if the if the price is right, I'll do pretty much anything. <laughs> I, I, I'll compete against you, so I'll put up zero reps. Oh, then, oh, uh, then, then <laughs> after, oh, if you if if I if I if I get to compete, then yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll have win. zero reps, and then I'll see somehow Tom. I'll make Tom Brady look like look like uh like a uh like the fastest man on the planet, basically. So it'll be uh, that that'll be some good times. We'll think about that. All right, let's get let's get into the footballs. What's going on here? Playoffs, Super Bowl. I know we got a we got a little bit of a break here until we get into fully into the Super Bowl, but um, I would say we got the two best teams in the NFL. Probably, you know, the Bills might have been seen as being in that category, but they kind of disqualified themselves with that with that last uh, performance against the Bengals. Uh, you have any overarching thoughts about the game or what we've seen from these two teams so far? Specifically, one point I want to bring up, and this is something where I played a little bit of the game on social media by sending out this thing about the Eagles having the worst, I mean the worst, the weakest strength of schedule 
during the regular season and in the playoffs. They had 14th and 14 teams in the playoffs when you discount the fact that the, the 49ers didn't have a functioning quarterback. And they were 32nd, according to my numbers, uh, during the regular season, too. Um, so maybe – I knew that was going to get picked up because all the NFC East teams' fan bases hate each other so much that you get three fan bases that are that are making something viral versus being positive about one of them. What do you think about the Eagles versus the Chiefs? Because I think the markets right now have the Chiefs being slightly better. I mean, the Eagles being slightly better. Do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, I think uh... – one of the, one of the exercises I try and do is look at the rosters across the board and see where I would where I would take another player from the other team, and right. you're gonna find yourselves hard to find Chiefs players a lot versus when you're going on roster roster player to player. Um, yeah, and the Eagles have the complete roster. They have the complete roster, which is also why, um, which is counter to any sort of logic when it comes to Howie Roseman. You see them being mock draft running backs in the first round. This year, because that's like what they do for complete rosters. They're like, ah, I don't know, with no needs, let's just give them a running back. Um, so anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and, and so that, that's like the first order of business. And then you see the, who has the coaching advantage, and then who has the health advantage, right? The health, the health is going to be a big thing. And and coaching advantage, you know, I look at both of them having – Andy Reid's clearly a better coach, but Nick Sirianni is one of the best game planners. They have a unique game plan for every game, much like Andy Reid does. So I don't see there being a huge disadvantage there. I see the advantage being A.J. Brown most likely, right? Who is the guy they're going to be able to lean on? If this back spasm thing turns out to be a big thing where they can't stretch the field and Patrick Holmes has to do magic again, which he had to do magic in the last win, right, uh, against the Bengals. Um, if he's obligated to do it again, which we saw he did in the Super Bowl loss to the Buccaneers, Jalen Hurts doesn't have to do that, right? He gets to be a great game manager, which he's one of the best that we've seen, right? It reminds me a lot of uh, early Dak Prescott, where he's just doing everything that he's asked to do. He's not making mistakes and he ends up just, you know, they end up being able to lean on their pass rush on the back on, uh, if they get ahead. What was interesting to me was the Bengals developed, got no pass rush against Patrick Mahomes. And so is this offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs going to hold up against where we haven't seen a truly tested secondary because the pass rush has always gotten home for the Eagles. Yeah. Right. And so, it, like you said, if it's strength of schedule, if they just haven't, you ain't played nobody, Paul. Right. Like that, if that's the, if that's the scenario we have here for the, for the Eagles, that could spell disaster if they have to then get into a, a boat race with somebody uh, like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think that the, the game management slash fourth down decisionings angle is very important. And that it is, like coaching is a lot of stuff that goes into coaching. So maybe we think about it a bit too much because it's so in our face and we don't see a lot of behind the scenes stuff, which obviously Andy Reid is excellent at. He wouldn't have had this track record of success in Philadelphia and now Kansas City if that weren't the case. But I think sometimes people will be a little bit surprised by how big of a difference some of these fourth down decisions can actually make. I mean, I'm looking at just in this last game against the 49ers. I mean, it was a blowout, right? But even still, um, the Eagles were three for three on their fourth down conversions. It results in about 7.8 expected points added. It resulted in about 15% win probability. If we talk about 15% win probability, um, if basically any player but the quarterback is out, you probably need to be missing like three elite non-quarterback players before you'd sniff a move in the markets that would 
be the equivalent of a 15% win probability that's going on here. So it really can make that big of a difference. And they are a really good short yardage team. And the Chiefs are not that great of a short yardage team. And Andy Reid doesn't lean into those things, in particular in situations where they don't feel like they need to go for it because they're not down at, at, by much in any particular time. Uh, that's an interesting angle that we're going to see play out because I don't know if Reed has had to go against someone with this this caliber of team that's this equal to them in the playoffs where there's this big of a potential mismatch in those types of situations. Yeah. Uh, and Because Shanahan's a boomer. Because Shanahan was a boomer when they played against them. So right. like he and, had and, his chances and didn't, and didn't go for it. And they had third and nine a lot the Chiefs did and converted, right? And yeah. at that point in the season, they were converting third and nine at 58%. And yeah. 39 plus. So like that, that, that was just over the top success. Well, and is that third and nine? Like, yes, the, the pass rush of the Niners is great, but like you then have to do that same third and nine against the Eagles. And then you're going to, if you want to get closer and be able to do four, use fourth downs and they struggled and they've, the, the, the issue is, you know, they struggle with a kicker too, right? They're doing yeah. plus territory punts in the AFC championship game, right? They got bailed out by that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, you, you gotta think about, okay. What are they going to have opportunities to make these in-game decisions? And I think in the Super Bowl, they'll be more likely to lean on Patrick Mahomes because it's like a burn-the-ship situation. But uh, what's great about the Eagles is you go to the other side. A lot of teams that should go for it on fourth down, they're not as good at it, and they have a bad defense, right? Because often I, I believe the teams that should go for it more on fourth down are the underdogs because you're more than – you know, you need to find something, a chink in the armor. You need to find some advantage. But – the Eagles are giving it back to a great defense too, right? So yeah. if they're giving short fields, if they're giving it, those sonars, they have the best fourth down mechanics. It's all those things combined. You're going to have a huge advantage. The, the problem is, is if fourth down might not matter to the chiefs, if they're going to get out of third and nines, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, definitely. Definitely. Well, it's a couple of different things that made me think of there because like the, the chiefs, you can't just apply across the board, I think, based upon distance, them being a good third down conversion team or a third round over expectation team. That would lend you to believe that they should be going for a lot more fourth downs. But I think the reality might be in fourth and one, maybe even fourth and two situations, they're going to be better than your average team. But it's really what we're talking about. And this is what they really should be considering more often. And of course, you know, this is, you know, blow up the brains of a lot of uh, of the media pundit sphere is like fourth and fives, fourth and six, fourth and sevens, fourth and eights. Those are the ones where the Chiefs have a massive advantage versus the field. And even, you know, Ben Baldwin's win probability, I mean, uh, fourth down probability bought doesn't encompass the specifics of the chiefs in those situations. It just, it just encompasses the fact that they're a favorite in the game and they can probably convert fairly well. Um, but those are the ones that he really could be leaning on. And you do see him going for years fourth and one sometimes, uh, but that's not even really where the chiefs could be pressing their advantage. Yeah. It, you're, you're hundred percent right there. Uh, they, they don't have, they don't have to play the same game, right? So a lot of the yes. conversion probability that the next gen stats data decision guide uses off of is, you know, consensus average. Fourth and one is very simple for the uh, uh, it's eighty seven percent conversion rate you know for the for the Eagles up to sometimes ninety percent but you know the, it calculates their its decision based off of about seventy seven percent so they're better than expected but the the model's like you know you have to regress at some point or yeah. the model doesn't see that they're doing the the uh, the assisting the runner from behind 
play. Right. That was that was so I love just the shamelessness of putting two guys behind the quarterback and say we're gonna have them both push the quarterback in on this one. So what I like uh, to go a little bit football and make my make this about me. We yeah, ran a very similar play in college called 64 lead dive. One thing that okay. I did, I moved the ball forward a yard and a half. So, you know, Jason Kelsey get a lot of credit for it. <laughs> you're, a sneaky one. you're like, he, you're like rotating it a few times and it happens to spin forward like a half right. a yard. I, yeah. What I would do is I'd stand over the ball in my four point stance and while the crowd and everyone's screaming, I would then, as I'm pointing, I would then move the ball forward and I'd get into my four point stance with the ball. Yeah. So that's how I did it. I got a yard that way. And then DeCastro on my right, he would get the other yard for us. Um, and so the, the, but what we used to do is we used to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to get rid of the defenders. Cause we'd launch two fullbacks over the top. So what people okay, don't so realize, you, so you try to get rid of those guys who were jumping in to stop. Okay. Yeah. I so like we, that. But gravity happened. So they all landed on top of me. Okay. <laughs> hey, so, sacrifice. So the, That's a sacrifice so for your our, team. One of our fullbacks becomes the next guy. So we're doing the same type of thing. We're running a fake pitch off of it. We're doing an evolution because we get in the same, you know, bone type formation. Very similar to like how, you know, the Eagles are doing it. But then we put offensive linemen back there because they started putting defensive linemen. So now yeah. I'm doing the snap. <laughs> They're having two defensive linemen jump over the top. I have two offensive linemen. I'm having like a thousand pounds land on top of me <laughs> every single time. And well, so I, I like what they are doing with, with pushing instead of <laughs> everyone landing on top of the center. Cause I would do my move and then I would just cradle. Yeah. It still seems painful. Even if you're getting pushed. I, I got a new, I, I'm okay. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invent a new thing. I just thought of right here. Mm -hmm. It's probably not legal. You have to tell me if it's legal, legal or not. Can the center snap it? to the quarterback and then the quarterback between the legs, just give it right back to the center. And then the center is yes. the one picking up the fourth down. What do you think about that? Well, I have to look at the NFL rule book. I know high school and college rule books have the fumble ruski taken out of it, but that is the, the technically the fumble. Cause you ha it has to leave the hand of the center, right? That would be like, yes. you can't be touching it. It's like the quarterback could just touch it and then say, okay, now it's yours. So it has to leave the hands, but if it actually physically left the hands of the center and then, and then was given back, um, it's probably not going to work. You probably get blown up in, in the meantime, but I, I, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to disrupt, I'm trying to disrupt sneaks right here. And that's my idea. So, so you know, you, this is why people think I'm annoying sometimes, but you're, you're, you're coming up with a nonsense thing. I'll define it for you. So okay. the fumble ruski is a very similar concept, right? Where you're going to, you're yeah. going to get it. And why the fumble ruski in these types of plays where you give it back to an offensive lineman is so good is, uh, the defenders are taught to track the eligibles, right? There's the right, five yeah. eligibles on a team and plus the quarterback, right? So now you're tracking the eligibles. So when you give it to – it's better as a misdirection play yeah, than just to yeah. stuff it up the middle play because that's where eyes are. And so yeah. Jason Kelsey is the kind of guy you'd want to use because he's a fullback playing center. Yeah. And that's why he's so athletic. So it, if there's any time to do a fumble ruski, make it in – and in the Super Bowl, and then have us have to have like a 10 minute review process where everyone's trying to find Fumble Ruski rules in the NFL rule book. And let's make yeah. everyone, let, uh, hopefully, Dean Blandino gets to have to deal with that on air, my good friend Dean. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if the Eagles did it, but who was it? Jacksonville who did like the everyone gets up, like you're going to do the sneak, and then you just run a little end around sort of play. So, yeah, I, I do appreciate the, the little bit of misdirection that that can come into play there. Yeah, I think, look, it's, um, when, Stanford, we had a lot of shifts in motions. We do a lot of things, and then for the bowl game, we'd always have we had a play called montage, which is all of our shifts in motions in one play. We end up getting it was like six shifts in motions in one play, and we end mm -hmm. up getting the two yards. And then John Gruden goes off about how terrible of a 
of a coaching staff we have because we're so rude to the game, but it was fun for us. Right. Um, some, some of my teammates don't agree, but I think that was football's fun. And so the, I, I believe that each team, because both these teams are fanatical game planners, they all have something special, whether it was the, the, uh, the, the single wing spin around play that uh, the chiefs had and one, uh, the Niners Super Bowl, or it's going to be, you know, something with this fourth down scenario, that they'll have something cooked up for the Eagles because it'll be a fun way for everyone to engage during the two weeks you have to prepare for the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully Mahomes is healthy enough so they can do that that ring around uh, huddle and then and, and, you, then, you and know, then go forward. I, I think it, I find it interesting that it's a high ankle sprain. High ankle sprain and lateral ankle sprains are very different. I've had both. One's non-functional, the high ankle sprain. So him yeah. being able to play, if it truly is a high ankle sprain, is yeah. an extreme marvel of you know what you do. You, it means there's there's no membrane between your tibia and your fibula, <laughs> and so like the, the, yeah. the, the way your foot lifts up, like you you can't actually push off of it. There's nothing. It's not like oh this is painful. There's nothing to push. So very incredible that he was able to play. Well, I mean, I think he. I, I'm not even. This is only half joking. You know the 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 okay the the analogy that people made for Mahomes, the funny one about him running is he looks like he looks like he's like holding a drink and trying not to spill it when he's running. But I also think maybe just the way he runs, he kind of runs like someone who already has an ankle sprain a little bit, even his normal running motion. So maybe that helps in a way. Yeah, he's a scamper. He yeah. likes a scamper. He doesn't quite run, but that's like a, a scamper. He's tiptoes through the tulips. Yes, but it ends up getting it done. Okay, so let's talk right. about quarterback then, because that will be important. You mentioned completeness you know i would say that's true you know you have guys like chris jones on defense who can really come out and wreck things potentially as a single man you have kelsey and mahomes on offense where even though dallas goddard's a a great player he's not a he's not a travis kelsey so you have those sorts of advantages so how much of an advantage is is mahomes in this sort of game being that these two dudes are probably number one and number two in the MVP voting when it comes to quarterbacks, because I believe they're two of the three finalists along with Justin Jefferson. Yeah. I think the, the advantage is clearly Mahomes because um, in games where you have two weeks to prepare, the other team can have a great game plan for you defensively. Right. And what, what's important is with the collarbone injury that or the shoulder injury that Hertz has, can he create with his legs? Can he get his rushing yards, his scramble yards to account for what he would might miss in the passing game, right? And if they're not playing um, a third string quarterback or an XFL quarterback, you know, they, they really can't do that uh, or rely on just like their defense uh, and short fields. So when everything hits the fan, you have to then lean on your quarterback and Patrick Mahomes is the best to ever do it when it comes to being able to create and, and, and find ways to make the team exciting. Like the, I think the stat of like, you know, they had three rookies on defensive back end and there was three, the three of his main receivers were out for this game and they still, he was still amazing. You know, like, like the worst analytic or not worst. One of the worst cliches I hate is he throws a catchable ball. <laughs> right but he makes me he makes me believe in it right like all yeah. balls should be catchable he makes me believe in it because he, i really don't know if you you can just roll people out there versus you know like uh i think you had some great stuff about you know the absence of tyree kill and like eric yeah. eager had some great stuff like it's not going to be that big of a deal and like we saw how big of a deal the addition was for tua 
mm-hmm. and how little it really mattered for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, so, yeah, it, it is. It is extraordinary. Um, I think Eric was much more so. And if you follow Eric on Twitter, you got like three weeks worth of quote tweeting people, um, <laughs> you know, to to, uh, to to victory lap, victory marathon for him on the Tyreek Hill take. But here's what I'll say. So this is interesting. There was like piece that um, I forget his last name, Seth, Seth, Seth Kaiser, I believe, who yep. has a. Uh, Substack, Substack brother uh, of mine, um, he, he on the Chiefs, where he was talking about the great job by Marquez Valdez Scantling in this game. He had uh, six catches, eight targets, 116 yards. Uh, Marcus Kemp, <laughs> one, one target, one catch, 13 yards. Sky Moore, Sky Moore still stinks. Seven targets, only 13 total yards there. But these other guys who are coming in, especially MVS, I think for Mahomes, and he talked about this a little bit in an interview that I played where he was on the Kelsey brothers podcast. And he talked about how much he, he doesn't like completion percentage that much as a QB stat. He thinks it's relied upon a little bit too much because he likes to say, I'm, I want my, I want to be able to give my guys opportunities to make plays. And I think maybe that's a big part of it. A big part of it is you talk about maybe, maybe on the opposite side of the spectrum, like Aaron Rodgers when he had, uh, Jordy Nelson went down with an ACL injury back in 2015. He had this really off season after that. Um, and he doesn't have confidence in a lot of these guys. And he's, you know, he's just spamming uh, Devontae Adams the ball when he's there and not getting in necessarily anyone else. I feel like Mahomes really does allow receivers to bring out their best because he's treating them like, like if they're open he's going to throw them the ball. Or if they're the best option, he's going to throw them the ball. He's not going to assume the worst or be reticent to do something like that. And that's a big advantage when it comes to team building, I think too, because then you don't have to have that box checked in ink for wide receiver one. If you have a quarterback who can use and, you know, maximize those other options. A hundred percent. The difference is they catch the ball for him. A lot of quarterbacks <laughs> throw it to, but maybe it's, it's, it's symbiotic at least a little bit. Like you are, if you're willing to throw the throw it to them, unless forced to throw it to them in certain circumstances, I do think there's there's probably somewhat of a rhythm to it. You're right. MVS is a pretty he's a, he's a, he's a dropaholic when it comes to s- some other stuff, but he goes through good stretches too. Um, so I, I think I, I there's, think there's a little bit to both times. Every quarterback um, doesn't have faith; they have trust. Right, faith yes. is blind, trust is earned. Right, so yeah. you have to get that trust in some capacity. I think everyone would like their their wide receivers. Demarcus Robinson hasn't been the same since he left <laughs> Patrick Mahomes. Right, and so yeah. it's like he, he he they catch his ball, and that sounds so rudimentary and stupid, but like people's catch rate is so much higher with him, and and they'll be able to do it because if if you if if all those guys drop those balls, he's he's going to Kelsey every play. Right, he'll find yeah. a way. Right, yeah. like he he can't. And we're all human. We're, a drop doesn't predict another drop. Whatever he, he he would go. He would he would he would find his boy. Right, um, that's what all quarterbacks do. And just guys are catching the ball for him, and he's and he's but he is willing at the end of the day to be able to go to other people versus guys that would never want to earn that trust outside of practice. Right, and there are yeah. issues with guys throwing the ball in practice and then. Being like, okay, he dropped it in practice. I'm not going to throw it to him in the game. Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to think of – there was one particular one, that one catch from uh, Marcus Kemp. I can't find when it happened in the drive. But I remember thinking, like, yeah, this it, like it wasn't 
like he was completely wide open or something. It was actually a play where they really needed it. Uh, I can't bring it up now to figure out exactly when it was, but I believe it was actually one where they needed it. Oh, the second and eighth for a 13 yard catch. But again, it was like at that point, there was no like Justin Watson, like who's Justin Watson, but he wasn't there. And he actually kind of matters a little bit. He, he gets open down the field. Um, he actually gets a, a decent amount of air yards. He also drops some balls, but Mahomes still, still throws it to him. So Justin Watson didn't play. Then you had McCall Hardman going out, Juju Smith-Schuster going out, uh, Kadarius Toney, who dropped a touchdown on the first uh, drive, uh, going out. Yeah, so having guys like Marcus Kemp step in and be able to at least do something, I think, is just like off the charts as far as we're talking about wide receiver, you know, six or seven at that point. Yeah, and they're one of the um, the teams that has, you know, be able to find guys like that uh, that will actually perform. Unbelievable. But every game that Patrick Mahomes has, he's got some guy stepping up. Noah Gray making like a one-handed catch in a playoff yeah. game. Like they have a guy step up and that's, that's great for team camaraderie. You know, this is, you know, the football guy side of me is like you, if you have Patrick Mahomes, you know, as a team, we can win any game, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter if everyone else falls flat. And so that helps you in terms of how you prepare for the game and how you feel confident going into the game. You know, you have the best player. I played three years in college where I had the best player on the field. Right. Yeah. I knew I knew that going in. So it, it, it changes a team's makeup knowing you have that guy and guys will step up for that. He's Patrick Mahomes has earned that. And so now, you know, on Jalen Hurts on the other side, do they follow him that same way? Will everyone step up and play better because of him? I think it's more of a team element there versus then focus on we have the guy. But they did go 98 yards with Chad Henney. So who am I? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was funny. Um uh, uh, a, a guy I like a lot, uh, uh, Jeff Schwartz. He was he was writing about that sh- uh, fellow Schwartz. Um, it was uh, offensive lineman. He was he was saying how in that Chad Henney drive, how they they ran the ball with uh w- with Isaiah Pacheco on that on, on that one, and he's like the Chiefs should do that more often. I'm like, yeah, you know, well he did average like 15 yards a carry <laughs> that drive. So yeah, I agree. Adal- the analytics agree. If you could average 15 yards a carry, you should be running the ball more often. Yeah, analytics is other than the ability that the clock runs. So in the last two minutes, doesn't matter. Analytics would love running the ball if it got as many yards as passing the ball. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. It's like short yardage. That's what we're also we're also calling for it a little bit, a little bit there. Um, what do you think about Jalen Hurts long term? Because you know, there's some good videos that he put out. Uh, I don't know if he put it out or if his management or someone about the doubters and the haters. And uh, of which there are many um, for him the first the first couple of years. Not me, of course. I like the pick, um, but one of the few. I mean, maybe one of the only who like who at least publicly liked the pick there. But like, is still anyone really sold on him? I saw a funny thing this morning of someone dunking on someone else who was defending Hurts now, but then a year ago we're saying Gardner Minshew might, might be a better quarterback. And I don't think that was like super crazy that some people were were saying something something like that. If Minshew would have continued with another good performance this year after that good performance against the Cowboys, who knows what people would have said. Uh, but Hurts is up for extension here. So do you think this is like signed, sealed, and delivered? Because if you're a buy you know when you know buy low type of person this can't be a good buy low season for Jalen Hurts even if you do believe in him yeah so I would extend him as soon as possible um because we don't know what the salary cap is going to look like we know it went up a lot this year it's going to go up you know 40 million dollars this year and so you might as well get it in before the YouTube TV deal goes in so just from a financials perspective and then worst comes to worst you trade him for a first round pick later 
right? Yeah. Like they've done, yeah. like they've done before. Um, or get a couple third round picks. Like it, there's like things you can do about moving on from a guy like that. But you want to you want to get that guy. You want to keep him in. And then because of the salary cap going up, I think you you keep you stay with him as long as because you have all, some of your other key pieces already locked in for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you know evaluating quarterbacks, especially being agnostic of a situation that they go into, is really really hard. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson all sat for a year. Or wait, no, Josh Allen didn't. But Lamar Jackson. Allen didn't. Yeah, Lamar Jackson know. sat for half to like three, two thirds of the year, maybe. Yeah. Right, but he sat, and they they had yeah. brought Greg Roman in because they knew they were going to run the 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 pistol offense right they, with him when they drafted him, and so that's why they had him as the assistant offensive coordinator. But guys got to sit, and then we saw them be successful. If, if Josh Allen didn't have time growing pains, right, like. You know, people were doing high fives about, you know, how everyone predicted he was going to be terrible, and then everyone was high-fiving about how right they were, right? And now we know that's not the um, case. He, I feel like – I feel attacked, but go ahead. Continue. Yeah. Uh, it was <laughs> you and a couple other people um, in Cincinnati. And then yeah. – uh, I, I mean, all of us were. Like, like it, yeah. it just – it didn't fit. And now he got – he ended up getting Zach Wilson drafted because it was, oh, this guy doesn't look great, but see how far he throw. Like wait till Will Will Levis this season. I mean, I don't know anything about him, but I guess he throws a nice ball. But at least he played in the West Coast and he was recruited. But Will Levis, another thing. So the, that's my point: is these best quarterbacks in the NFL? Um, we have you know the guys who sat, and then you had so they didn't they didn't feel confident in them right away. And then you have Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, all transferred, right? So mm-hmm. school big time schools and get them. And then they have big time first overall picks were transfer players. And so they had to change the scenery to go into it. It's really hard to evaluate these guys outside of who's calling the plays, who are they throwing to, what's the scenario, what's the expectations for them. It's a really hard situation to evaluate that quarterback. But if you believe you can build around this and create a winning culture, right, around this player, absolutely do it. But I'm also like you like you mentioned. I take flyers on second and third round picks to be at quarterbacks because the position's so important. The Eagles yeah. saw how important having a backup quarterback was their last Super Bowl run. Doesn't mean that you can't draft quarterbacks anymore because they're still an asset to trade later, even if you want to, because they haven't been played. It's like being able to have something that you know is unproven. There's not reason why they can't be better than like Trey Lance. I think he's still an asset to be traded this year uh, if another team had him evaluated because he hasn't done anything to prove that he's not a good quarterback yet. Right. He's done, yeah. It, 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 I don't know. That's a little. His he's a little iffy. He's a little iffy. He has he has at least played some, but he hasn't played much. That's he played in true. a torrential downpour. Right. I don't think anyone would have expected that play to be like, oh, this is a vacuum of what this guy is. I know who this guy is right now. Um, yeah. And so so like that. That's my point. Is like you. I think you extend him. You've built a team. You've built a culture around the guy. And worst comes to worst, you take another flyer in the second third round to try and if you want to if you if you, that's not what you want the route you want to go. Uh, continue moving forward. Yeah, yeah. It's probably going to happen this offseason because as a second-round pick, there's also no fifth-year option. So the first time you can extend him is this offseason. And if you don't extend him this offseason, then we're already playing the franchise tag game in order to extend him next season. So this will this will probably happen. One thing I will look out, maybe we're talking a little too much about like the future here, but I do think it's a near impossibility to pay two wide receivers and a quarterback at the same time at, at a super high level beyond the beginning of their contracts when you have these low artificially low cap hits before they step up. I think that's why people are so interested in what's going to happen with T Higgins. Um, 
for the Bengals because they're going to have Burrow and Higgins become eligible for extensions this offseason and Chase next season. So if they decide to prioritize Chase versus Higgins, do they look to move Higgins now rather than move him later? Uh, you maybe got a similar situation with the Eagles a little bit here where you have A.J. Brown already on the big deal. You have Jalen Hurts going to get the big deal. And then you have Devontae Smith where a lot of people had talked about this. If you exclude the first game of the season, which, of course, you know, you never say this is kind of cheating, but um, where A.J. Brown went completely ham and had like 14 targets or something like that. Uh, Devontae Smith has actually been more productive the entire rest of this of the season that they've ended up playing there. He's younger, things like that. I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they extend Hurts now and maybe a season or two from now. They they still extend Smith, but then maybe even trade out A.J. Brown at some point once they get that cap hit down. I do think something will have to be done there, and I'm interested to see how Howie's going to approach it. Um, because you can't pay all three of those guys, I think, at the same time, along with Dallas Goddard. But luckily, tight ends are pretty cheap. Yeah, I think that's where you just have to keep hitting in the draft, right? Like, yeah, or keep taking just, shots. Right. Don't just, don't assume you have those positions filled. Also, that's another problem, I think, um, when it, not only quarterback, but even a wide receiver. You don't say, we have A.J. Brown and we have Devontae Smith, so we're, we're not going to draft any wide receivers in the first two rounds for the next two years because – if you hit on one, first of all, you need three receivers a lot in the NFL. It doesn't hurt to have three good receivers, number one. Number two, if you hit on one of those guys, all of a sudden a world of possibilities opens up as far as what you can do and potentially trade your other guys, more so than hitting on a position that's not important. If you hit on a position of, of need that's that's not as important, it doesn't open up all the possibilities to really improve your team. I, I think where they got really lucky, and this is not wide receiver, is Jordan Mailata. Right. Yeah. He's on their roster because of the international players program that lets you have four extra players uh, on a rotating uh, which division you are. And that year, he got to be there. 20 years old, played football for one year, but he's a physical freak. And I remember watching that film, and there was a guy I wanted to get at the XFL, and it's like, this guy's going to be an all pro. And I still believe yeah. that Jordan Mailata has the chance to be an all pro. He's one of the most fluid athletes we have in the, in the NFL. And he is on a very small contract, very similar to when Alejandro Villanueva was on the Steelers, a guy who was came in through the practice squad, took a smaller contract that his position would have and played at a higher level than other people. And so their ability to have that premier position on a contract that is not at a premier level is extremely valuable for them to be able to be able to manipulate other areas uh, of need. Right. And then, if they can continue as a coaching or as a, a, a general manager and a coaching staff to identify players that are not being used wisely other places and maximize their abilities then on the field, like a son Reddick, it's one of those things that will continue to help make this, the Eagles team flourish in years to come, no matter what comes in their way, because I believe analytics is a large part of how they are developing their talent. I know uh, from my research, it's ownership that is driving analytics usage into how they're building their, their roster. And that's a big piece of what they do to then build out those spaces. So whether they have new problems or not, they, I believe using analytics will find a way to then find holes in the markets elsewhere that they can then develop. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the two teams that were um, eliminated. Cause I think I mentioned a bit about the T Higgins decision. We'll see. He again is a second round pick. So they don't have the luxury necessarily of saying he's going to play through onto the, onto the fifth year option and we'll figure it out. Like they can do much longer timeline for uh, Jamar chase having been drafted a year later. Also, 
But there's a very different situation. You have the Bengals who have all these players offensively, uh, but then you're going to say offensive line, maybe tight end, defense, lots of things you can you can pick out there. And then the 49ers who have maybe everything but, but the quarterback figured out there. Uh, presumably it's going to be Trey Lance and then Brock Purdy eventually coming back from injury as the backup. But that's an interesting situation. And they have no picks there there too. Um, I'm first to start with the Bengals, how they should approach this offseason, because I'm seeing a lot of I think they are potentially could fall into a trap of we got to the conference championship. Um, our offensive line wasn't good enough to get it done. Maybe our defense wasn't good enough to to stop Mahomes, a uh, hampered Mahomes. So, like, let's 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 do this thing the opposite of what we we're just talking about, as far as maybe having duplication of high level positions. Let's do the opposite and let's like fill those boxes. Let's get the the tight end we need. Let's get the guard or that we may need for an extra player. No offense to interior offensive linemen. Um, <laughs> let's get the the other players that you know the linebackers that we need. Something like that, which. Is maybe maybe it is maximizing their 2023 chances, but I don't think it gives them nearly the the optionality that they can have if they hit on another premium position instead. Yeah, I, I if I were them, I'd approach it from a best pick available. Um, yeah, everyone says on. that though, but then but then nobody, not a lot of people do that. Yeah, and, and why why I, why I say that for them specifically is they got injury bug at the worst time of the year. I think if they had had it for the first three games where they are, where, you know, they were struggling to like, find their rhythm and then Lyle Collins and Alex Kappa play, right. Everyone plays in the AFC championship game. I think they're fine. You know, at the end of the day, they were letting everything go. So the screenshot warriors looking at holding calls on the last drive for the chiefs. Like, oh yeah. Don't... I would try to ignore that. I have to remind myself, Twitter is not real life. These are not but, all the Bengals fans here. These are just the most Bengals fans. Do yeah. not watch when your team was on offense because it was a melee in the backfield. Yeah. That was that was, they were letting everything go, and so yeah. um, they had to have some sort of you know, you know, don't do a, don't be a screenshot warrior, um, listeners. But the the big issue um, on top of that is they just got hurt, and I don't think that unless you just invest in your health and safety and things, there are freak accidents going to get there. Um, but I think what they need is just another playmaker on the field and so i would go after getting more defensive backs getting uh interior pass rush right they have great run stop in the interior get interior pass rush um and then also why not keep going after pass catchers yeah and so the other thing is like just keep getting pass catchers uh and you'll be fine because someone's getting hurt this is a long season now. You want as many options for your quarterback because not everyone's going to be able to make Marcus Kemp a superstar. And so yeah. get as many pass catchers as possible. I think that way you'll uh, you'll be able to focus. So I said saying I'll do a lot of different things, but if there if there's a guy that stands out to you as a person that can change your team right now, don't pass them up because there's not like a clear blaring hole for somebody. Yeah, I mean, let's – okay, so – at wide receiver, I mean, I, I really think they should be looking at wide receiver. Like, why not? I mean, Tyler Boyd is they can save about nine million on the cap if they if they cut him. If they take a wide receiver early and he ends up hitting, you're sitting here with T. Higgins, who is probably worth a first round pick, maybe like probably easily. I would say a first round pick, maybe not that much more. I guess AJ Brown was a first round pick and change. Um, so you're sitting around with a player who you can trade out for a first round pick 
and not have to pay him $25 million a year. Like what could be, what could benefit your team more than that? that? In reality is if you hit on a wide receiver, you save 10 million in cap, you bring in uh, another, another player and you then trade out T Higgins and replenish that first round pick and don't have to pay $25 million a year. Completely agree. Not much podcasting to do on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, we solved you, Bengals. I know no one no one is going to be mock drafting them a wide receiver, but but why why the hell not? And I also thought that was funny about the offensive line for the Bengals. I had never seen a swing in sentiment that went from being overconfident in two different directions here going into the Bills game. I remember saying I thought the Bengals were a little bit undervalued in the markets, but they're probably the injury concerns were probably a big deal. And, you know, I had people yelling at me I had some guy be like, yeah, it hurts when you have a CFL level offensive line. And then he was fine. The, the entire time there's overplay that. And then the next week people were like, Oh, it doesn't matter that they're, that they're still injured, whether these guys are coming back or not because they did so well the week before. And it's like, yeah, we have to have our like base rate for what we assume is going to happen and work off of that. Not just swing, for recency bias from what happened the last game back and forth. I thought that was an interesting case study at least. Yeah. I mean, and also sometimes your plays work and sometimes they don't <laughs> Yeah, know? like, 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 like we, like we know how big drops are or guy making a miss, you know, rush yards over expected. Like when guys can make like big plays, some IGP run going off, right? Like you're, if your good players play a bad off, like, you know, I'm an offensive lineman. I know what our position is, right? You only get noticed like this is cliche. You only get noticed when it's really bad. But, like, at the end of the day, I can't get the ball and break three tackles, right? right? A running back, a wide receiver can. And that's why they have more value than an offensive lineman. Yes, a very bad offensive lineman doesn't even let you get started, okay? Yeah. Completely agree. But at the end of the day, like, I can't break four tackles. I can only block one person, right? Yeah. If you break four tackles, you've now blocked four people. And so if your good players make plays, you're, you don't get noticed. Right. Or if you're getting away with murder in the backfield, right. Like, and you're just like holding on for dear life. Like you can get away with a lot of stuff and, and, you know, they weren't able to do that. Their playmakers weren't as making many plays. Right. Uh, Yeah. But you know, the T Higgins catch over two guys on fourth down or, and then the fourth down conversion, (laughs) right. Like we don't look at the offensive lineman on those plays. (laughs) You know, they're probably getting beat those plays too. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty, pretty quick pass. I do think it's interesting with the offensive lineman thing. It's like, you're kind of have, five different let's say like six-sided dies and depending upon how bad the offensive lineman is there's maybe more sides where one of them is like giving up or giving up i mean how good they are there's more sides one of them giving up pressure and you're kind of just rolling them all at the same time and when you hit that one time where three of them all come up with giving up a pressure at the same time then you can't overcome it the quarterback can't overcome it whoever can't overcome it but you could have those same dice and rolling it for 20 times in a row and not hit that sometimes and it doesn't mean that the players are any better or any worse for that for that for that amount of time it's where a great coordinator comes in because moving the pocket right like anytime you you see a backup quarterback come in maybe the first play of the game first pass of a game is going to be a bootleg Mm -hmm. because they don't have to be blocked for on that play right you get the whole defense moving you're going around the other way um some teams still like to run it to an overhang uh an unblocked edge and like we saw the eagles or the niners do that it's like you're the greatest coordinator in the world i can't stop singing your praises and you, you run bootleg to an overhang player. Um, but yeah. uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of different um, mindsets on how teams can kind of build around the offensive line. And if you're focusing on 
all right, let's just – we don't have to pay across the board. Let's draft well, right? And that's what everyone's plan is. But like, let's be conscious of how we're drafting the offensive line. Make sure they'll gel together. But then you have to run plays that can put them in positions to win. And that's the problem that a lot of teams get is they're going to run, oh, he couldn't fit my system, my system. Fellas, your players are your system, right? Run plays are going to – I think what was great is I think the uh, completion percentage record was broken by Sam Bradford when he was in Minnesota. Not because he had a great offensive line and great receivers, but because he got the ball out faster than anyone had gotten the ball out. Because they weren't they weren't attempting to block deep pass plays, right? Just get the ball out and keep him safe. So they were still a bad quarterback, but they kept him safe. They called plays specifically to him, and that's what these coaches need to do. If your offensive line can't block for certain plays, don't put them in those positions. Find a way to get Chris Jones <laughs> not to be one-on-one with somebody, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that that's key. And then I think for the 49ers, um, I'm actually a little bit more positive on their situation. I know they don't have like the quarterback necessarily figured out. I think they should continue to take shots at the quarterback. I know you've already invested three first round picks in Trey Lance, so maybe you don't want to do it. Um, they don't have a pick until the third round this year. But it's absolutely wild. They're becoming, they're going to be like the new poster child for compensatory picks because they have three third round compensatory picks this year uh, a fifth round, a sixth round, a seventh round. Uh, Rand Carthon left to go to be the general manager of the Titans, which is going to net them two more third round compensatory picks over the next two years. D'Amico Ryan's left to go be now the head coach of the Titans, which is, I mean, not the Titans, the Texans, which is going to net them two more third round compensatory picks. I mean, you're almost making up for having just, you know, blown completely lit on fire. Those third round picks, even if Lance doesn't hit, as long as you're willing to not play the sunk cost game there and still look at quarterbacks in a, in, in a, in a, you know, prudent manner going forward. And they might upgrade at defensive coordinator with Vic Fangio now thinking he might go to San Francisco. Oh, shots fired at D'Amico Ryan's now. No, I, I, you know, <laughs> I think he's the best. I think he's he created the NFL that we see with the scoring being lower. Yeah, he's the one who developed all this. Did I play for him? Yes, he's a friend of mine. Yes, <laughs> but you know, I think he's he's a uh, the best the best coach, um, the best defensive yeah. coach I've ever seen. So, um, and so they might get a, a pick for that. I think. Uh, then I agree with you. The quarterback position is so important, and a lot of the backups play. At the XFL, I built our number one paid player on every team was going to be the quarterback. The backup quarterback was going to be the number two highest paid player, right? But there was no draft really capital. There was no salary cap. And so, like, there's a lot of other things that didn't have to gel into, but the focus was who knows if we're going to be able to block for these guys for 10 games. The same mm-hmm. things in the NFL, Right. The quarterbacks, we I don't know. We had, what, I think, the most quarterbacks play this year. Like, you don't know who's going to be there. And so you might as well have those guys in your roster. And I believe by having a guy not play behind another guy who's playing well, their value doesn't decrease an exponential amount. You can still move that think so. player. So yeah. if your team's good enough to win with Brock Purdy, then you can keep drafting guys like that and then have a piece that you can then move later. No one's saying every player you draft has to be on your team forever. Yeah, yeah. An no, asset. Go ahead, go ahead. Like, it can be an asset that you move later as well, but you just, you know, you've taken a quarterback that's unproven. People will then try that if they've had good draft grades. That's how we've seen Josh Rosen get picked up by so many teams because at some level, a GM had a high grade on him, so you might as well take a flyer on him. Yeah, right? yeah. And like, Car- 
Carson Wentz being going multiple times. It's happened before with other guys. And I also think the idea, and this, this might be something that people will say, the idea that if you have Shanahan, it makes the quarterback less important because he can get good play out of bad quarterbacks. I actually think that's probably in a way backwards. I think if you're a cor- if you're a coordinator who can get average-ish sort of play out of anyone, then the additional benefit you get from having a better quarterback, let's think of Matt Ryan 2016, like MVP, taking that quarterback to an MVP sort of level, that's more valuable. Like each win that you get above a 500 team is much more valuable of a win in value you're adding than going from three wins to four wins or four wins to five wins or five wins to six wins. Same thing with quarterback. Each you know, 10th of a point of EPA, each five hundredths of a, of a point of EPA that you're getting efficiency, you're getting once you're getting above average is that much more important. That's what differentiates the, the, the top guys from the other guys. So if anything, I think you can argue that it's like the best place to invest money with Shanahan because to get that outsized extra incremental efficiency at the top um, can really put you forward because that like Falcons team in 2016 their defense stunk, um, and they still made it all the way to the Super Bowl, whereas this 49ers team has been more of a defensive team that's gotten away with not having that that quality quarterback. So it's something the analytics community said earlier this year that kind of bothered me. is, or It went from, hey, you just need to start quarterback, and they'll make a lot of players better. And yeah. then Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell play so well for the uh, Dolphins, and it's, hey, uh, you, you need good players too for your quarterback, and then your quarterback will play well. Yeah. And and what bothers me about that is you're going to then – if I'm after our, – our job as analytics people is to go explain to the hardcore football or the, the football guys like, hey, here's why analytics is helping you. You go to them and say, you need a really good quarterback and you need really good wide receivers and you need really good blockers and then you'll have a good offense. Yeah, like, boom. Simple. You're, you're not finding a gap. You're not finding an edge. There's no edge yeah. there created. Um, my thing about the uh, Niners is they can't – they can't protect the quarterback. They get hurt a quarterback every time. <laughs> How much and of that so, is randomness, though, versus like, are they doing something? Are they doing something with the quarterback? They got to start putting him praying. in more harm. They got to start praying. They're not. They got to start praying to more people or to different <laughs> people. Like, I don't know. I think that's a lot of the reason why they traded up for Lance, honestly, is because Jimmy was getting hurt, was getting hurt and the bottom was falling out in those situations. I, I would feel if I were them, I would say to myself, we can clearly build around a, an average quarterback and we can take them to B plus level and get to the game. All we have to do is win the game at this point, right? But they can absolutely get to the game, the NFC championship game to get to the Super Bowl with, uh, with an offense built around a game execution, not manager game execution quarterback. Uh, I think that they'll, they should keep taking chances on those players in the second and third round versus paying a guy because then they can pay those guys at those key positions and keep paying a defense to then have the opportunity to to be put in those positions. They have a unique act. Like, what's their edge? Their edge is they can get to the game. I agree. It's better to have Patrick Mahomes on your team than not. It's better to have uh, a Josh Allen on your team than not. But they don't need those guys to get to the NFC Championship game. I would continue to, to try and say, we can use so much capital elsewhere and have those great players to elevate a, play, a, a player Versus, because you know Brock Purdy isn't doing this. You know, if with Kyle Shanahan, if he doesn't have 
Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle, right? George yeah. Kittle is the best EPA per target player this year in the NFL. Like they're creating a lot from those also key players where if they have to invest in the quarterback position on a, on a max contract, those guys all aren't there. They 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 can have an advantage because of the coordinator. So I would use that advantage. You're 100 right. I think they'd be, they'd elevate with a, a on offense with the court with a star quarterback. But I don't know if they need to based on what, how they build their defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's weird. It's just like every everything's like the last game that happened. You know, the last game that happens with the Bills, they have trouble offensively. So it went from you know, an elite quarterback like Josh Allen can elevate anyone to how do you expect Josh Allen to win when he doesn't have enough, enough receivers? So yeah, I, 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 yeah. See, I, I didn't like the, the receiver talk. Isn't Gabriel Davis a great number two in this league? Like, like, uh, I don't know if he's that good, but whatever. I don't know. He's what he's, he's, he can be good. He can be good. So, but I guess when you have Cole Beasley out there again, running routes, maybe people aren't happy about that. Although <laughs> second team, all pro Cole Beasley, thanks to Peter King a couple of years ago. Um, but here, I guess the overarching thing, and this may be what we talked about earlier, and this is going to even go for the 49ers here, is like quarterback number one. Like if you, if you hit and you have that guy and you're certain of that, you can legitimately say, I'm not going to draft this position anymore, which is a position that you really need to be investing capital in at all times until you have that. Other than that, I would actually say maybe tight end is second. Like if you have George Kittle, I'm fine. Just saying we're done at tight end and we're going to pay George Kittle a lot of money. And rather than going back into the draft like a kettle. But other than that, all bets are off. If you want to do draft more receivers and say you're going to let Debo Samuel go or you're going to trade him, or you're going to do whatever. I feel like that's how you have to approach it for, for these for these teams. You know, it's it's uh, uh, funny you say that because they also don't have to pay a second tight end. Because a lot of teams, <laughs> you know, because they, yeah, they yeah. pay the fullback. And yeah, he's the highest paid fullback, but he operates. He's he, It's less than having to pay a second tight end uh, good money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tight ends are just cheap because the, because the franchise tag keeps it. The franchise tag is calculated based upon the top five at the position. And so we talk about the top five tight ends versus the top five wide receivers where there's three of them on the field at one particular time. The tight ends just get screwed by that calculation. That's why Jordan Cameron changed his Twitter bio to pass catcher. Right, because that's <laughs> how tried. Jimmy 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 Graham tried to Jimmy get. Jimmy Graham tried. He failed, but he tried. Yeah, yeah he's tried that. Gasicki, I think, was trying that. Everyone, everyone's trying to do that. So yeah, I think. Uh... Yeah, you gotta talk to D. Smith before you talk to before you change your bio. Um, I think the what 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 they have advantages is they don't play with three wide receivers on the field all the time, right? So True. they can they don't have to have like uh like the the Rams, the uh, Bengals, the Cowboys, or Kellen Moore now well, the Chargers. They have three wide receivers on the field every single play, and so they need to have three good ones. They don't need to have three good ones at expensive positions. And if they want to keep, you know, going after fullbacks and they only need a fullback at a tight end, like, you know, I was a little apprehensive to the Christian McCaffrey trade because we saw what every Shanahan has done with random running backs. Uh, but he really did add an element to their game this year, um, to their team that made it so that other teams had to focus there and were able to do shifts, things, him out of the backfield, changing how defense play with Debo goes back into the backfield. So there were things that he did. So they can invest in unique positions because of who they have calling plays and they can find market inefficiencies that way um, to where they can maximize their value there. You still need to hit in the draft. I think, you know, I've, I've, I've done my football guy moment of the day by saying just hit in the draft, but you know, if they continue to kind of do that, they don't, they don't have to invest the same way other teams now have to in the 11 personnel NFL. Yeah, yeah. And with those comp picks, they've almost like they've almost accidentally 
played the trade down game by, by having like all these different mid round picks and all these different darts to potentially hit on um, kind of accidentally traded in their first round and second round picks for later picks. Um, but instead of it wasn't trading in, it was using those to, to, to get other players. Yeah. That's actually the key element is should you have bad coaches get jobs elsewhere so just keep everything on yourself as the head coach. you be so good as a coordinator that you can keep getting your people hired elsewhere so you can get comp picks. And then you can it doesn't matter. That's actually the real market inefficiency. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see how these coaches do. I, mean, I, hope, I, hope, I hope things will go well for D'Amico Rennes. But like you said, yeah, if they bring in Fangio, that's not going to be bad for them. All right, anything else you want to plug, talk about before I, I let you out of here? No, I think the podcast is great. I think the Unexpected Points community, you know, get up, follow that sub stack. Um, from Prime Vision, um, come, uh, you know, we'll be back next year. If you have any suggestions on things you want to see, things you didn't like, things that you want to see more of, um, hit me up at, at PV Sports Stats or at Schwartzstein S on Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open and just kind of uh, say anything that you want to know more or want to see more of next year. We're going through the process of building and we're excited about what, what you guys will have next year. We need some more of those, uh, those zip ups that you got, you got going on there. Yeah. The brain on top of TNF yeah. there looking, yeah. looking good, looking good, man. Well, great to talk to you as usual. One of the best guys out there, Sam, go follow him. I'll give everyone have the details at the, at the front end of this episode, but thanks so much for the time, man. Meet up at the Combine. Yes, let's do it. All right, see ya. Later.